You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your wonderful hosts. Welcome to episode 12. This episode, we're discussing Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. This book was chosen for our other bestie, Lindsay, who we talk about all the time on our show. And if you didn't know, she is the lovely voice that you hear on the intro to every episode. This is one of her favorite books, and her birthday is this weekend. So happy birthday, Lindsay! Happy birthday! Woo! Woo! So this is our first time reading any work by Austin, but we'll get into that in a moment. Kimmy, what have you been reading this week? I have been juggling three books, which is very weird for me. Usually I am just a power-through purist. That surprises me. I know. So I have... I've been reading... Pride and Prejudice in my physical book. Mm-hmm. Then in my ebook, I'm reading The Dictionary of Lost Words, which I'm very much enjoying. And then my um, audiobook, that mm-hmm. thing. That thing. Okay. Yeah. I've been listening to 28 Summers still. I never finished. I think I was listening to that last week too. But I feel like everything's taking longer because I'm not powering through. But it's all right. But I should finish them all like this weekend. That's the awesome thing is like <laughs> when you juggle a whole bunch of books like that. All of a sudden, you add like three or four books to your red list, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. Boom, baby. Mm-hmm. Get it all done in one fell swoop. What have you been reading? I have also been juggling a few books, but I feel like I've been juggling them a lot longer. <laughs> it happens. I'm still working on the memory police. I didn't give up on that guy. I don't want to give up, but yeah. my library loan ended. Oh, maybe I can share it with you. I, I, I'll look. Um... And then I'm still reading an arc of Wild Women in the Blues. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your service because I always forget the name of that book. I don't know. It's really good. You you will like that, yeah, I think. I'm excited. Um, and then I just started an audiobook this morning on my way home from work called In Five Years. Oh, I which read that. You did read. It's completely out of my genre and actually before we started recording, Kimmy asked me why I was reading it <laughs> because it's so not me. But um, we will also talk about that later. So that is it. All right. <laughs> well, we do post reviews for these books and more on our own Instagrams, which you can find at Katie's Lost Chill and at Kimmy's Lost Chill. The Instagram for our podcast at The Lost Chill this week will focus on pride and prejudice. We sincerely hope you join the conversation about that book with us. Now is the time when I usually give my spiel that's warning you about spoilers, but if you haven't read this book yet... You've had 200 years. Yeah, it's time. Like, it's now or never. So sorry, if we <laughs> if we give it away, it's not our fault. It's yours. <laughs> but we love you. Yes. We just we read it for the first time, so... Yes. So, so I mean, let's, let's shove no... our pride to the side. Yes. Okay? <laughs> we have no room to talk. Let's get this party started. <laughs> All right, everyone. Katie's going to give a monologue now. Take it away. (laughs) Take it away. (laughs) So it's funny that we're going to talk a little bit about Jane Austen because I wrote this script 
uh, yesterday and put this little tidbit in there. And then you ended up sending me an Instagram post in my DM. She slid into my DMs. <laughs> yeah, I did. she sent it from the same account, both of which we'd never heard of this account showing so many literary memes before. So it's the Sparknotes Twitter account and the Sparknotes Instagram account. They post literary memes all day, every day. If you do not follow them, you definitely need to because it's hilarious. So I came across this tweet, which made me laugh a little bit too hard (laughs) about this. So it was in Mrs. Bennett's voice. I love all of my children equally. That's my picture of Mrs. Bennett. beautiful. Jane, Lydia, Kitty, Mary... And she looks down at her smudged hand. Elephant? <laughs> oh, poor, poor Elizabeth. Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm sorry. I took over your line. You, you can say it by yourself. See, I told you she really wanted to have a monologue. <laughs> poor Elizabeth. So this is officially the oldest book that we have covered on the show. Jane Austen, for those of you who do not know, was an English writer that lived throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. And she's known for six books, four of which were published in her lifetime that didn't really bring her much fame. The other two were published posthumously after she did. I can't say that word, but I don't know why I put it in there. <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll interrupt your diatribe and say, I would give anything not to be appreciated in my own time. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Friends reference. <laughs> That's how she gets me every time. (laughs) It was only after her six books were republished and sold as a set after her death that her fame took off. Um, She did sell Pride and Prejudice for £100, which was a modest year's salary in her time. And as of 2013, it was thought that Pride and Prejudice has sold over 20 million copies worldwide in its 200-year existence. Austin had seven siblings, one of which was her brother, George, who was developmentally dislayed, deaf, and mute, and also had a seizure disorder, and he was basically shipped out to be fostered, which I thought was really messed up, but I mean, I guess it's... They barely raised their own children in those times if they were healthy. I know, but it's still, it it got me. Um, She was particularly close with her sister, Cassandra, and then Jane Austen never married, she was believe, or she had believed a woman should never marry unless she was in love. And that's, I believe, I could be wrong. I believe it was mentioned a few times in the book. I could be hmm, wrong. Maybe. Do you remember? Time or know. two. <laughs> uh, her health began deteriorating in 1816, and it's argued that she either died from Hodgkin's lymphoma or Addison's disease. She died in July of 1817 at the very young age of 41. And she's thought to have written thousands of letters to her sister Cassandra, However, after her death, Cassandra burned them, and only 161 remain, which you can see pictures of on the internet. That's very depressing. It really is, because we could have learned so much about her. And Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of love that, like the unpublished works and all the stuff that comes out after people die. Mm-hmm. My highest hopes is that Taylor Swift is actually immortal. <laughs> I didn't realize you were going the Taylor Swift route so early. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Well, let me just say, so on the day we're recording this, it's not Lindsay's actually birthday. It's the day that the Fearless album is re-released, which I know. Yes, everyone's so thrilled about that. And so we already know, like, there's these songs 
that are just in a vault somewhere that no one knows. And so I can only hope that one day every single one is released. It is rumored that between Taylor Swift, her debut self-titled album, and Fearless, that she just hung out with Liz Rose, who she co-wrote a lot with on Taylor Swift, that they wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs that just never made, like way too many for an album, obviously. Yeah. And way too many to even give albums to all of them. And so there have got to be some like hidden gems in there that were still like just decent, but just not enough to make it. And I want every piece of Taylor Swift album, song, lyrics, poem. She writes a lot of poetry too. I want it all. Give it to me. genius. She released, um, with Lover, she released, uh, Parts of her journals, just these little clippings oh, of yeah. all of them, too. I want all the journal copies. <laughs> like the real ones? Yes. <laughs> Give me everything. I can't get enough. Okay, Are go. you going to start like a Taylor Swift museum one day? There is one already. Oh, there is? In I didn't know that. Yeah. Why haven't we gone? Because of Rona? Did I it ha- just like recently open or something? No. Oh. But we need to go. All right. I'm down. We need to go to Nashville. I've never been. Get you some cowboy boots. Yeehaw! Get me some cowboy boots. <laughs> you already have them. I don't. Not anymore? I had rain boots. Oh, I thought they were cowboy boots for some reason. Sorry. My no. bad. My bad. All right. Anyways. Anyway. <laughs> Tangents today, apparently. It's very rare for us. As you very might rare. Be so shocked. <laughs> All right. So few pictures or paintings exist of Jane Austen. And they all look a little bit different. Interesting. So no one is really entirely sure what she looks like, which is kind of weird to me that this very, very famous woman is nobody's really sure what she looked like, but times were different. Uh, the most interesting thing that I found about this book was that the title of this book, Pride and Prejudice, is thought to have been inspired by another book called Cecilia by Fanny Burney, which I've never heard of. Um, since that phrase is mentioned three times in the last paragraph in capital letters, and Austin was a voracious reader. Um, my copy of this that I've been reading mm-hmm. said that the original title was supposed to be like First Impressions or something. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I couldn't find anything why she changed it, but yeah. th- this is the closest I found to a theory on that. That she was into the Easter eggs? Maybe. Three times. The British Library, which we visited for a different story a few weeks ago with the Lost Epoch. Why do I do this to myself every (laughs) fucking week? (laughs) A few weeks ago with the Lost Apothecary houses some of her early manuscripts that she wrote as a teen. And her home where she wrote all of her books is now the Jane Austen Museum. You talk about my book reports, but I really could have gone so much more into Jane Austen. I know that you're glad that I didn't. I find it fascinating that in 2021, she's still so relevant and that we're even talking about her on our show today. I'm done now. I think it's so interesting that her works took off and still take off all the time Mm -hmm. and people still love them and are so dedicated. Oh, yeah. People just collect Pride and Prejudice editions. Which is so crazy to me. It is. And I find it fascinating because I'm like... What do you think it takes to make a classic? And do you think with just how common books are these days, isn't it like so much harder to get a classic now? 
I I'm like, think so. what do you think will stick around? Besides Kristen, Hannah, Stephen King. That's it. Just those two? Just those two. No, I mean, I don't know. What would you consider a modern day classic? Mm. Does it does it need to have the popularity? Because this wasn't popular when she was alive. I don't know. And it's, I, you know, what else is hard to say in what's often thought is that a lot of times, even what we consider classics, we may never have heard about unless they were in our high school curriculum. Yeah. And I, I kind of get the feeling that teachers are getting a little more wiggle room and to pick their own books and insert them in. Mm-hmm. So it won't be like, oh, yes, everyone read 1984 in high school. Right. And so that could lose its classic status that way. So it's hard to so, say. So is a classic just something that you read in high school that you were forced to read? Is that what? I mean, that's how it feels like stuff became classics for me, or I think all those books were classics. Yeah. I mean, classic is a pretty broad term. Yeah, it is. About it. It's just like ratings. It's different to everybody. What I consider to be a classic is probably different than what you consider to be a classic. Oh, look, I get to talk again. Oh, weird. <laughs> Mr. Bingley, a wealthy single man, arrives in Longbourn. Mrs. Bennett, who has five unwed daughters, is absolutely thrilled at this prospect. Mr. Bingley has his eye on one of her daughters, Jane, but his friend, Mr. Darcy, talks him out of being with her because he doesn't feel their love is real. Mr. Darcy, meanwhile, initially gives another Bennett daughter, Elizabeth, a snub when he says she isn't attractive enough for him. Mr. Darcy then starts to fall for Elizabeth, but she isn't having it. She even refused his marriage proposal. Meanwhile, Elizabeth is initially interested in George Wickham, a militia officer, who kind of ensnares her by talking smack about the uptight and pretentious Mr. Darcy and playing the victim about how everything was taken from him that he deserved. Blah, 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 blah. And then Mr. Wickham runs off with another Bennett girl, Lydia. Dat ho. Lindsay, when'd you get here? <laughs> That's how she refers to her the whole time. Uh, Wickham says he will marry Lydia, but only if he has paid for it. Mr. Bingley comes back and continues to chase Jane and asks for her hand in marriage. She obliges and everyone celebrates, except for his wicked sister, Caroline. Mr. Darcy tells Elizabeth his feelings are still the same and asks her to marry him again this time she accepts even after mr darcy's aunt tries to per persuade her from doing so it's joke time i love joke time hey kimmy yes why did the reader give up on pride and prejudice i don't know why the characters were too ostentatious <laughs> <laughs> oh man that was a banger <laughs> Without a doubt, you are currently enjoying the pure hilarity and delight while listening to the Lost Chill podcast. But I know, in about an hour or so, that old familiar sinking feeling will creep in. What do you even do each week after you finish listening to the latest episode of the Lost Chill? You miss the crazy shenanigans, the silly hootenanny, the general hullabaloo? If only there was another podcast you could listen to that had all those things. Well, have I got some good news for you? There is, and it's called the Death Metal Disco Podcast. 
hosted by our friend James, who talks about whatever the heck he pleases. We can promise that you will be absolutely tickled as he rambles on about anything and everything. Again, it's the Death Metal Disco Podcast. That's death as in the opposite of life, metal as in a genre of music that Taylor Swift has not gotten into yet, and disco, the place where some have been known to panic at. Be sure to check it out, and be sure to let James know that Katie and Kimmy sent you. Enjoy! So, before we jump into the nitty-gritty, you read this, and I listened to it on audiobook. This, the audiobook was narrated by Rosamund Pike, who plays Jane in the 2005 film adaptation. Did you find the language difficult to keep up with in the book? So, I was expecting more full-on Shakespearean Old English I didn't think it was necessarily that hard to keep up with. I think it was more sentence structurally difficult. Yeah. Like it felt full of double negatives and just beating around the bush. And I feel like there was a lot of added words. Unnecessary. There. But we also talked about learning styles last week in the Night Circus episode. And we both knew that this was going to be a challenging book when we went um, into it. So we kind of went with our stronger learning styles here that we thought that were the most beneficial for us to keep up with this type of writing. Do you think that it would have changed anything if you listened to it versus read it? I could have never listened to this book. I would have been so lost. Um, I was so lost. Honestly, I had a hard time. And I, I, tr- I didn't want to give anything away to myself too much. Didn't want any of 200 old spoilers, you know. Um, But what helped me was just looking up a character list. Because at first there were just too many. I couldn't keep them straight. Like who, and not necessarily even who is who, but their relationships to each other. That was a lot to keep up with, even more so. I would agree with that because I kept getting confused with Darcy and Bingley. Yeah. Who was who. And then all the sisters. Yes. Until it's sort of hyper-focused on Jane and Elizabeth, for the most part. And then then there were at times even I thought they were switching between calling people by their first name and calling them by their Mr., Mrs., whatever last name, and then I realized that they weren't, so that was another addition of just confusion. So once I like just I kept referring to a character list of who was who, mm-hmm. then I was able to track better and just read through a lot easier. Spark notes, baby. I don't want to give the plot away or need help with that. Just characters. There's oh. a character list in there. And then it, what helped me, because <sighs> I look back on it and maybe listening to it wasn't the best strategy for this book because I was very confused with a lot of it. Rosamund Pike did an excellent job narrating. I really enjoyed it, but I was very confused. So the Spark Notes broke it down by every couple of chapters. <laughs> it kind of summarized what was going on. Which helped me a lot. Extra work. Yeah. I highlighted shit. Yeah. Don't this, judge me. Um, just some books like this, like once I can get the characters down, it helps a lot. Um, but even like with Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. I want to say that that was like one of the few times where like watching it on TV really made me understand the book better. Because then I could have faces with the characters too. 
and like where they're going to just kind of understand and help it make a lot more sense. Um, so I think a movie would help this make sense. The movie did help it make more sense because I did watch it. Oh, did it? Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's one of the few times is that like sometimes super confusing books with a lot of people and relationships to keep track of. I do think that actually seeing those ones mm-hmm. helps me a lot more. Yeah. All right. Well, Elizabeth overhears Mr. Darcy saying that she's not handsome enough for his fancy, but then he does decide he's attracted to her and begins to chase her, even asking for her hand in marriage. Did you think that Elizabeth was playing into the game here when she refused? I do think that she was playing into the game. However, this question was brought up prior to the conversation that you, Lindsay, and I (laughs) had about 10 minutes before I drove over here. So at first, I was really grudging Darcy about all of this. I really... Mr. Darcy! Whatever. This is 200-year-old sentences. Name structure. Uh Uh-huh. What's in a name? Oh, she just never gets them right, does she? (laughs) I will fight you. Uh, Mr. Darcy, he was really one of my least favorite characters, but I'm going to suck up my pride here. And you and Lindsay really kind of Swayed me on this. Swayed? Swayed. Swayed. Either swayed. we swayed you or we persuaded <laughs> you. Not both. You swayed me on this. Because you made me see a, a few valid points in that, which we can probably get to a little bit later. But yes, I thought that initially before we had that conversation, she was definitely just trying to be spiteful and vengeful and get back at him. What do you think? Um, so I think it's more of a, there were weird dynamics, which we'll get into soon about the whole dating scene here. And I think, I think she just needed a little more time to trust his feelings. I don't necessarily think it was a game that was played. She just needed more convincing. Mm -hmm. But back to what you were saying about, uh, the grudges you're holding against him and how you thought he was just rude. I found that hilarious. Why? Uh... Because I think it's funny, the standards that you hold characters in romance novels to, just when I think about your life and your, like, number one favorite hobby in the world is pushing your husband's buttons. (laughs) And I'm like, man. But that's out of love. If anyone wrote a book about you, (laughs) they'd be like, wow, what is she doing? But he pushes mine. I push his. Like, that's how it's always been. Ever since I've known him. And I think most people read this book and they enjoy that tension between Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy. And they think it's like this very sexy, slow burn flirtation thing as opposed to them just being jerks to each other. I'm also not a romance reader. So maybe I'm not well enough versed in the genre to really see those relationships and those tropes. I don't know. Enemies become lovers, I guess. That's a very popular trope. It really is. People love that. I know, but I don't see it, I guess. I don't know. Okay. It's, I don't even know what to say because it's just, it's just not my genre that I enjoy reading. And so, I mean, that's the point of this, right? Is to step outside 
your comfort zone right. in mm-hmm. books and to try and see different perspectives and maybe like things that you didn't think that you would ever like. Okay. But so do you think then with that being your opinion, do you think it was an intentional way for her to get back at him and that she then wanted to be mean to him after he was mean to her? I think the marriage proposal refusal was. Do you think so? Do you remember when Monica found out what Chandler had said about her? (laughs) All right. Do not bring friends into this. (laughs) Sorry. My bad. (laughs) I mean, do you? Do you think that it was intentional? Or do you just think it was... I think it was just... It was just hesitation for self-preservation. Do I just see the surface of this and do I not dive deep enough into it? Dive on in. Come into the feelings. It's so cozy That's kind of how I think that I see this is because I just see the surface for what it is. But really, everybody else is seeing a different picture than me. (laughs) It's all right. It is. Like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm just, I'm just trying to grasp what I'm missing because I, I've, in talking with you and Lindsay, like, I definitely didn't see it that way. And I think, so this is a book where, you know, obviously it's kind of everywhere and people love this Mm -hmm. and maybe most of the time you ignored it because you didn't ever want to read and had no interest in it. But I kind of like got the feelings and understood what teams and sides people picked. And so like, I knew everyone's prejudices against the characters (laughs) going in. So like before I even read this, I knew everyone loved Mr. Darcy and thought he was some super hot. I didn't know that. And I was like, I think everybody hates Darcy. Excuse me, Mr. Darcy. Thank you. Just like I do. Like I assumed everybody was so upset with him. Like I was, and I just never came around to love him. And it was definitely, it's funny because like, I don't think tropes were anything that I ever put too much thought into before bookstagram Mm -hmm. and you see it a lot. And this is definitely an enemies to lovers one, but people love that. But does it change then if you reframe it to even like you and your husband love to push each other's buttons and how it's like a playful, flirtatious type of thing, as opposed to like, it's not just, it might sound like you're being jerks on the outside, but, like, if you're actually in, you're just, like, steaming and oozing with love for each other the whole time. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, the whole, I think the whole reason, the more that I think about it, that I really, really was holding a grudge against him was because I feel when he said that about Elizabeth, that had to have been embarrassing for her. And I don't like to be embarrassed. <laughs> And so, unless it's my doing, let's be honest. But if somebody says something like that about me and my appearance or my character or something along those lines, it's very hard for me personally to recover a relationship with them, especially if it's not something direct. It's something that you weren't supposed to hear. So I guess I would have a hard time letting that go unless it was talked about. And like, I would just never ignore it and then wonder And, you know, I would probably, I don't even know. I could get over it because, I don't know, I understand that guys can do stupid things for stupid reasons or, like, to play it cool to their friends. And, I mean, I could then make him grovel at my feet to make up for it, and maybe he might not know 
why what he's being punished for but i don't know <laughs> i just got Work this really weird way. visual in my head when you said that i don't know why what, what visual is this you don't want to know oh god <laughs> i also had a problem with that word being used to describe women right it was very confusing for me at first i was like oh that's just what they did it's funny to me because the other book i'm reading the dictionary of lost words it's about the attempt at defining words more or less and that some change over time and basically they get their meaning by how they're used and people can use them differently and so they're very fluid and it's just funny because that's definitely a prime example exactly yeah (laughs) all right so we have a lot of purple elephants that keep popping up in just about every book that we cover on this show this book i found a purple elephant of parental expectations i'm sure you did too Mrs. Bennett, who is so set on marrying her daughters off to wealthy men, but we never really see any pushback from any of the girls, and we never know if this is what would make them happy. The girls actually seem to be extremely boy crazy, in my opinion, and they kind of just go along with it. Did you feel that they didn't resist their mother's wishes because that's just what was done? Or what was your take on this? Obviously, things were done a little bit differently 200 years ago. They were done differently, but also they haven't changed at all. (laughs) And I see that over and over and over again in these books. We've talked about it with like Outlawed too. And you know how, you know, we're not accusing women of being witches anymore, Mm -hmm. but we're still, we can still put blame on the situation as if there's any, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And how hard it is to even get away from that. So it feels like we're just barely inching forward and getting away from that. And um, we will even dive deeper into the dating scene here soon of then. But, you know, my parents aren't like they never they aren't because I'm married now, but they never like saw a guy move in next door and try to marry me off. But they always put heavy expectations on me to get married and not even just like my I remember like so specifically with this one guy. My parents had like never even met my dad be like, so when are you guys getting married so I can stop worrying about you? And it was like just something. And I was like just baffled. Like I'm completely out of your conscience and mind. Like you won't worry at all if I marry this guy you've never met. Like, and it seemed to be like from a financial standpoint, which was also weird because I was living on my own and supporting a child and not even getting any money from him whatsoever at that point. Yeah. So it was all just like, like, why are you even saying this? Like, what kind of weird pressure that's, is that? Why does it matter to you? That's interesting. Just that kind of thing of just really wanting me to get married. So then they wouldn't have to worry. I'm like, about what? Yeah. I have a child <laughs> that right. I support. Right. And so just weird stuff like that. So it's just, it it's changed, but it hasn't changed that much, I think, in my personal experience. And I think a ton of people are like that. And I mean, even you and your husband, you guys had a kid mm-hmm. and lived together mm-hmm. bought a house people a still kid. want you to get married yeah we were ready to be married and you know we had a kid together and people would still refer to me as his girlfriend and it's like that's weird i didn't like that yeah so it does give like that whole you know it's like a name it is it adds that level of respect and value mm-hmm and just the level of seriousness for the mm-hmm. most part. And then there's so much that just goes into it. But, you know, I think just ultimately 
making that commitment to someone is powerful, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's weird what they did here. <laughs> this book was coming full freaking circle. weird. Yes. Um, but I will say on other things, there are some people who I think like Charlotte, they want that genuinely. They want that domesticated married life. And then there's people even like, I guess Elizabeth and obviously Jane Austen who wants the feelings and won't marry unless it's for love. And I think, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see how that's portrayed in this book. Well, don't you think it's a little bit weird that Jane Austen wrote this book that's so centered around five girls finding a wealthy husband to run off and marry, but yet she didn't ever get married herself. I'm, I'm surprised that she didn't like she was ahead of her time on that. She was. Like, that was so uh, taboo back then. Obviously. I think it was still probably a big thing her entire life of that's what she saw and was pressured on her the entire time. Mm-hmm. She had a few marriage uh, proposals and was even engaged to somebody Interesting. for a short period of time. And then she decided against it. But I couldn't include that in my book report because I was already getting long-winded. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Well... Uh, so Jane Bennett, not Austin, is invited to the Bingleys for dinner, which she is extremely happy to, to accept. Jane asks to use the carriage, but Mrs. Bennett refuses and tells her to bring the horse, knowing full well that it's going to rain and she would get stuck there. Her plan works all too well, and Jane gets sick and has an extended stay. So Elizabeth has to go check on Jane. What are your thoughts on this chess move, if you will, on Mrs. Bennett's part? This cracked me up i don't know why it just made me laugh because it was like she was trying to seduce mr bingley on behalf of jane does that make sense uh i don't know i'm still cracking up that you're calling it a chess move in the script because you're like thinking that uh mrs bennett's daughter she thinks of her daughters as pawns which are just queens and waiting if they get across the board. Oh, <laughs> full circle with the purple elephant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Did you have an opinion on this? Did you find it as interesting as I did? I mean, I thought it was hilarious. That was probably like, I didn't like Mrs. Bennett, but that was a good move. I didn't move. like her either. That was a good that move. That was a good move. Like, she... <laughs> She was being a little bit conniving there. Yeah. Like, all right, well, I know it's going to rain, so you take the horse and you get stuck there. <laughs> and hopefully you guys will do something to solidify your love for each other. Don't assume dirty things. Um, I was shocked that there wasn't like more in this book. Yeah. It was... Even for those times. I don't know. But I... <sighs> I have a hard time thinking that it never happened and more so thinking... Oh, it, it happened. Thinking that she just couldn't write about it because of how people were during those times. Especially by a female author. Right. So, yeah, it happened. <laughs> they did the nasty. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, yeah, I just thought it was funny and it cracked me up, especially in the movie. Because it was so obvious. <laughs> like, she was like, yeah, you're going to take the horse. It was funny. All right. Maybe I'll have to watch. I would 
I would recommend it. Okay. We'll talk more later. This book starts with all the girls in the area getting all Twitter-pated because two new eligible bachelors move into the area. They eventually go back to London, and the Bennett girls go to stay with various family members. How did you feel with this dating scene and how it compares to modern times? I'm glad you asked. So seven years ago, I wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) Did you only read books seven years ago and nothing in between? So it went like this. It went 187, like 20, (laughs) 13, and then I didn't read any. 13, was that coincidental? I don't remember the exact Mm. number, but it dropped like exponentially. Mm. And I didn't read any in 2019. And then I started reading again in 2020. You were a little bit busy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So like it was like a lot. It was in two years, 187 books. That's a lot. Yeah. And then it dropped like to a fraction of that. Four. To nothing. Yeah. So I got kind of I hope that doesn't happen burned this out. year. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that during that time frame, I read Modern Romance by Aziz Ansari. Thank you. That's the, I, at least I can say apothecary. Am I right? <laughs> so, but yet I can say that. <laughs> So he wrote this book called Modern Romance. It was all about the dating world now. And he did some research, not as far back as 200 years ago when this came out, but even in like the 50s and stuff. And so he said 14 of the 36 seniors he spoke with ended up marrying someone who lived within walking distance of their childhood home. And then um, there was a sociologist at the University of Pennsylvania who in 1932 found 5,000 consecutive marriage licenses for uh, people in Philadelphia, where one third of the couples got who got married lived within a five block radius of each other. Wow! One out of every six lived in the same block, and most amazingly, one out of every eight couples lived in the same building. Wow! Isn't that crazy? That is. And so, like this whole time, I was just thinking of that and laughing. How? So they seemed like to be in the country. Like you had to like walk distance to get to people's houses or take a horse and so this is definitely in much more like city areas yeah so there is like a little bit more of the pool but i was just laughing at this of like oh two guys show up but if you think about it yeah the three of us you me and Lindsay, we all met our husbands at work yeah so it's kind of almost the same thing now (laughs) yeah just different like work instead of home yeah because women didn't work then exactly so they wouldn't have (laughs) they wouldn't have met that their husbands there but because i mean we all pretty much lived pretty far away from our respective husbands at the time that we met them so it's not like we would run into them at the grocery store or something or run into them and getting the mail or whatever but it's almost the same thing where mm-hmm. all three of us met them at work. Yeah. Um, I think you would like this book. Just, I don't know. I like him. Um, but this quote makes me laugh. He goes, think about where you grew up as a kid, your apartment building or your neighborhood. Could you imagine being married to one of those clowns? <laughs> oh, MG. Oh, it makes me laugh. He's funny. Um, but I just, I thought it was very weird. <laughs> I'm thinking about that now. Oh, God. Sounds terrible. Even the guys from high school, like, ugh, I can't even imagine. Like, the things I think about the kids I remember from school, like, for the longest time, I really, really hated the Green Bay Packers because of this one kid in my 
in my second grade class. <laughs> what? I just think that's hilarious. Because of this one kid in my second grade class who went home on Friday wearing all Packers stuff. They lost the Super Bowl. He came in on Monday and all Broncos stuff. And I was like, those stupid Fairweather fans. Those are probably the least Fairweather fans in the entire yes. NFL. But that one kid <laughs> colored how I thought completely. In second grade. Right. Like, so imagine, like, this is your pool. Like, those people. That guy wearing the <laughs> Green Bay Packers starter <laughs> jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm good, too, with high school people. Dating them, marrying them. So he was able to like find a bunch of studies from back in the day, but that's not something anyone even does anymore because it's so far reaching now. Um, He did make a whole point though with online dating Mm -hmm. and just how the options are just so endless and how that can make it harder because even if someone's great, it just gives you the feeling that the options are endless. So there obviously has to be something better if the possibilities are infinite. Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which is crazy, but I was just laughing Too at this. Too many options is not always the best option. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm learning that um, a lot with my toddlers. You don't ever give a, an open-ended question. Nope. What do you want for dinner? Do you want mac and cheese or do you want chicken nuggets? Yep. <laughs> Two, Two <options>. choices. <laughs> and that is it. <laughs> and they'll still say pizza. Follow me for parenting hacks. <laughs> that won't work because... <laughs> toddlers are little baby dictators they are terrorists and we do not negotiate with terrorists no we don't don't (laughs) we don't (laughs) Jane Austen gotcha I'm the accent chameleon not you oh my bad we don't (laughs) we don't here finish your tea darling oh okay your hard tea Oh, me hearties. That oh, reminds me, me of your scurvy joke. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Pride and Prejudice has been picked over in college classes by literary experts and now by us. <laughs> the Lost Chill Podcast. Yes, we are now included in that prestigious list. I'm sure the themes have been picked over more times than we will ever know. One of the strongest themes in this book is the class system. This is most often seen with the way our bestie Caroline looks down on the Bennets. That woman was a meddling, conniving piece of work. Do you think that she was so meddling because she was concerned about her brother and Mr. Darcy? Or was it more of a monetary move? Oh, this is a good question. Because uh, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> But I also didn't really think about my response to it. I truly think it's more monetary. I don't think there was any sort of good-natured bone in her body. She was just one of those people that is just mean to be mean, and she wants to have all the money. And But I don't even know if she could get money because she was a woman. Women can own properties. I don't know. Could she paint, though? <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. Could she play the piano? Uh, Those are all qualities that a woman must have. Marriage material. Marriage material. Elizabeth did not have those. No. And that is okay. What? Yeah. So, I have a deeper question now. Okay. That will involve some self-reflection. I do think that sometimes this sort of meddling 
can continue. People always have their opinions on relationships and whether or not they are a good match. They are worth having, that kind of thing. Your own mother has had opinions on your relationships, but she kept them to herself at times. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's better to give opinions and risk going into the Caroline Bingley state to maybe prevent something? Or do you think that everyone should keep their opinions to themselves and let you end up marrying your ex-husband when that went terribly? (laughs) This is too personal. No, because I've already answered this question previously. Not on the show, but I've had... (laughs) In your other many interviews. Yeah, in my press tour. You didn't go on a press tour? Oh. Oh, sorry. No, um, I've had other, like in-depth conversations about this. I think we've talked about it. I think we have. It's probably I think that's me interviewing I'm, you. Yeah, it's probably. Um, I think it depends on the person who would be meddled with. So me, mm-hmm. in this example. Uh, 19-year-old me, who knew everything and could not be persuaded any which way. I knew all, and that was it. I think it would have been more detrimental to my mom and I's relationship if she had tried to meddle more, because I was just going to do whatever I wanted anyway. And she even told me that. Um, When him and I got divorced, I said, if you had problems, why didn't you say something, you know, seven, eight years ago? And she goes, would you have still married him? And I said, yeah, there's your answer. And that's when it became really clear to me. It doesn't matter to some people, myself included, what somebody says to them, especially when they think that that's the correct way, the correct path for them, it doesn't matter what anybody says. They're going to do what they want. And sometimes you just have to learn that lesson. I have a wonderful child that became out of that relationship who I wouldn't trade for the world. And I think that it really depends on who the person is, the relationship, And if your opinion will even get through to them. I will say, um, I learned this in a different, like this lesson that your mom, obviously she learned that somewhere. I guarantee it. Yeah. Um, I had friends in high school who dated guys. I knew that the guy hadn't been like exclusive as early as she thought it was exclusive, AKA cheating. (laughs) (laughs) I, I inferred. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and even, even was just questionable and had done other things that she wouldn't have liked and approved of. You know, I tried to tell her and basically I lost a friend for the course of that relationship. And luckily once it ended, she did come back to me and we're still friends to this day. But you know, I learned even, even if you think it's right and you want to tell them, they might not be ready to hear or listen and it will only strain that relationship, Mm -hmm. which is terrible. Yeah. Because I think about like if that situation had happened between my mom and I, I may not have come around until, you know, him and I were ready to get divorced. And it's like, I would have missed all of those years with my mom. And I'm really thankful that she didn't try and push that opinion a little bit more on me because I definitely at that point wouldn't have listened. I probably would listen more now, but. And honestly, I think that makes it harder too. And that's just how. On her? So many, um, on you. 
on me. How many relationships stay strained for so long? Because some people can't get over that pride. And it'll be like, I don't want to say they were right. I don't want to come wagging with my tail between my legs, head down in defeat, admitting I was wrong and I should have listened to them all along. And, you know, so they don't ever admit that or say sorry. And so relationships stay strained even when the person was right. Or they stay in a bad situation longer in order to not let the other person be right. Yeah. So their pride Mm -hmm. gets in the way? Their pride would get in the way. I'm just trying to make sure I'm clear on their pride. (laughs) And maybe they're prejudices maybe. as well. Those two. Yeah, they get in the way. Mr. Collins asks for Elizabeth's hand in marriage. Elizabeth refuses. Her mother is hysterical over this fact, but her father says, if you marry him, I'll never talk to you again. If you do not, your mother will never talk to you again. Going back to our purple elephant on parental expectations, what do you think was so important about this interaction? And I don't know if you had a different opinion on Mr. Bennett prior to this interaction, but I kind of did. So I'd want to know if you did have a different opinion on him, did it change your opinion after this interaction? First of all, I think that Mrs. Bennett is an insufferable twat whose first name (laughs) is probably Karen. (laughs) Second, Thank you for your service. (laughs) It did change my impression of Mr. Bennett. Thought he was pretty cool. And chill after that. Let yeah. his daughters do what they want or have their thoughts or not just marry the first person who comes along. <sighs> kind of progressive for his time, would you say? Very much so. And I would think, I don't know, I have a hard time with all of this because of just the whole way things were and how there was just that knowledge that after he dies, his daughters literally get nothing. Yeah. So the times with that were strange. And so I was glad that he cared more about her personal feelings and what she actually wanted, what Elizabeth actually wanted. But at the same time, I felt like he should have cared more about his daughter's future well-beings because obviously he couldn't take care of them forever. But I mean... He's kind of between a rock and a hard place there. He is. Because there's not really a lot that he can do because the law dictates that. And then as far as finding a suitable husband, I mean, unless you're like his wife or you just want them to marry whomever comes along. Right. Who has a few bucks to their name. I mean, what else can you do? It is a terrible situation for both of them. Yeah. I think. Honestly, I can see why. I like saying this now. Obviously, I just said I think she's an insufferable twat. But I can see that would stress me out. Yeah. To a degree. But and I, and I mean, also, just because times are different. Right now, it would probably be less worrisome. Right. Because we have jobs and can support ourselves. Exactly. They all sit around all day and wait for new men to move in. <laughs> Another interesting fact about Jane Austen, okay, which I could not include in my But you found notes. ways to sneak it in otherwise. Sure did. She did not ever make a dime or a pence or whatever they're called in England until she sold Pride and Prejudice, where she was in her 20s or 30s, I think. I can't remember exactly what it was. So that 100 pounds that she made was the first money that she ever made in her entire life. 
Did she live with her parents the whole time? Um, I believe so. Which is funny because that's another way that things have changed, but like going more full circle of people always say, oh, kids live with their parents so much longer these days. No. When there was just like a small time period where they kicked them out early. Yeah. They just went to go live with other people at that point. Yeah. Well, especially if you were a woman. I didn't really like Mr. Bentley at the beginning of the story. Bennett. Probably. I probably combined Bingley and Bennett. <laughs> and made Bentley. <sighs> There's no Bentleys. Just the Bennetts. What was I even saying? I did not like Mr. Bennett at the beginning of the book. I found that he was too aloof and not really the most compassionate father. But I mean, I guess that's also the time. You have to kind of look at that too. But I just thought he was like, eh, I don't care about this guy that came here. I'm just going to. But it's also weird. Like these people, these crazy people. (laughs) <laughs> they're like oh someone moves in let's get married let's pounce like people think people are fast these days at times yeah and they pounce so fast like i just could not believe the speed in this book that these marriage arrangements were happening like not just go like talk to each other at the ball and then decide oh you want to marry me nope you okay how about next they shared two three. dances kimmy oh my goodness They're practically on their honeymoon. And then they spend the rest of their lives together and can't ever divorce. So going back to Mr. Collins then, on that note, within days of Lizzie turning him down, like I just said, he went and asked Charlotte, (laughs) who is Lizzie's bestie for her hand in marriage. Mm -hmm. Charlotte says that she is 27 and a burden to her parents with no other marriage prospects. Like we talked about earlier, Austin was a firm believer in not getting married unless you were in love. What do you think Austin was trying to say with putting a character in this book who had such drastic opinions on marriage from herself? Oh, I think that she was just trying to conform to social norms here. Honestly. As far as the characters in the book. Because I think at least Charlotte, in that aspect, Elizabeth kind of represented a little bit more of what um, Austin stood for. At least that's what I think. But... I feel like there had to be at least one character that conformed and didn't go against the grain. What are your thoughts? So originally, Katie wrote this question. Mm-hmm. And she called uh, Mr. Collins a sleazeball for proposing to two different women in three days. Mm-hmm. I think that Mr. Collins was the same as Charlotte. And that, oh. that they didn't necessarily honestly care who they married to be honest and bluntly, but they wanted to get married. They wanted that domesticated life. You just turned on a light bulb for me because while I didn't necessarily see that in the story when I was listening to it, when I watched the movie, that's blatantly obvious. It's absolutely blatantly obvious in that. And I didn't even think about that. That he was just kind of this, I think pathetic's too strong of a word, but just this man who nobody really paid attention to yeah. and nobody really wanted and he was kind of lower on the totem pole of marriage absolutely prospects. and that makes complete and total sense and she was too she was and like that's why i feel like in the book reading it was a lot easier to have you know the empathy for her and even elizabeth never held it against her mm-hmm. um that she kind of you know she mentioned she was older and she like just wanted this she's like 
probably is like, I have these five beautiful eligible bachelorettes living across the street from me. Mm-hmm. Of course, all the guys are looking at them first. So this guy comes along and he wants me. So I'm going to take him up on it because this may be my one shot and I'm not going to throw it away. And I just also find it interesting. Um, you know, we've talked again and again about how Jane Austen only wanted to marry for love and she held to that steadfast. There were times in my life before I met my husband where I, that thought like, do I eventually just settle and not have it all so I can get married? Or do I just <laughs> don't wait out and hold out for the entire package forever? Spoiler alert, held out for the entire package. Got it. You just really turned on a light bulb. I'm sorry. I'm just like <laughs> deep in thought now. Like I didn't even put that together until just now. That they were the same? Yeah. And it's so blatantly obvious in the movie, more so I think in the text, but yeah. All right. So bravo. Thank you. And I I honestly, I can't hold it against them. No. At all. And I've met many Mr. Collins in my days. Very strange thing happens. It probably didn't happen to you because when you were young, mom, you were married. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many guys like wanted to get so serious with me so fast. And honestly, that was probably when I had the most like only first dates and I wouldn't pursue anything because they would get so serious on me so fast. Really? I was like, do you just want an instant family? Can't we get to know each other first? It was very bizarre and weird. I don't like it. That's creepy. It happened a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Oh, I don't like that. Or I feel like guys were just ready to settle down and I was there and... Um, I don't know. Now that you say that, it just sort of sounds... And I understand what they were doing and why they were getting married to each other, but it just sounds like a cold business transaction now instead of a blossoming love. I hope that they found love but, eventually. I mean, it is what it is. You both want the same thing and mm-hmm. you're both agreeable. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed to be the personality trait that was desired in this it book. It did. It did. Even by people who are not very agreeable yes. at all. I want people to agree with me, goddammit. <laughs> but I won't agree with them. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think it. I think maybe not necessarily the kind of loves that our stories are written about, even though they were. <laughs> but a, like almost quieter kind of romance mm-hmm. of like, I accept you and you accept me. And we will we're a happy family we will make it what we can and that will be enough there's something there there is i hope that they found peace and happiness with one another i have a silly question go on i could not help but think a lot during this book did you find it weird that the author's name is jane and one of the main characters is also named jane or am i just looking into this too much I think it's funny because you touched briefly previously how you feel like Jane Austen was channeling herself and her beliefs into Elizabeth, mm-hmm. but then the other character's name is Jane. It's strange. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she was trying to not make such a correlation between her and the Jane. <laughs> a, a little ben. red herring. Little Throw red him herring. off the scent. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. I just... Did, did Did you ever think about that? Do you, not, you, do you not have a Katie in your book? No, I don't. Mm. No, Charlotte, because that's what I always wanted to name another daughter if I ever had it. However, when I fell pregnant, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so clumsy. 
when my husband and I were discussing on baby names and girl versus boy and I threw out Charlotte and he was like absolutely not and I was like that hurt <laughs> but okay <laughs> good thing he wasn't a girl I mean we didn't have to fight over it <laughs> yeah. that's funny so yeah that's all I got I just found it odd <laughs> you're welcome for my service that's so odd yeah well typically this is where we rate the book However, Miss Kimmy has had a really good post recently on Instagram because she came across a new book app uh, called Readerly that doesn't fuel book recommendations off of ratings and does it in other ways. So we've talked a few times about this on the show as well as on Instagram about using other tools other than Goodreads for scoring, quote unquote, books and personal book recommendations. So we're going to shake things up a little bit. And stop our ratings. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. Ratings are extremely subjective. We even talk about that on the podcast Instagram page, as well as our first episode. Some people rate every book they finish a five because of the fact they finished it. Others, like what we were doing, rate a book that's good as a three. So it doesn't help that everyone has different scales. Some people define them, some don't. Even the ones who define them, they don't match. So how do these very different subjective ratings even give a reader a good idea on if they're going to like a book or not? The short answer is they really don't. The most that we can do is discuss each book that we highlight on our podcast and allow you to make the decision on if you want to read it or not. Or if you even think that this is something you would even be remotely interested in reading. So... You talked on your Instagram post um, more in depth. I really haven't gone into this on social media at all, but I really liked where you were headed with this. And so we both joined the new Readerly app and it's just basically short little stories, so to speak, on what your thoughts and opinions were. And there's a a few different slides that you can choose from and it's very user-friendly. You can figure it out very quickly. Yes. Readerly Mm -hmm. talks a lot on their Instagram page about how Goodreads is owned by Amazon. And I didn't know that. Yeah, isn't that wild? And so it feels like you're being led down a different way. But what did you say earlier about what the good things Amazon has done? Amazon does make it possible for people to self-publish. So that's one good thing. But then just they basically can create what is popular and drive it. So the best thing that we can do on our platform is not try and sway you with ratings because they're subjective. We've talked in depth a lot about our reading styles and what we enjoy. And we can maybe sort of give you a recap at the end of each episode in case you don't remember to see if you identify with me or with Kimmy in your reading style. And maybe you don't identify with either of us and it's a crapshoot. But that's kind of readerly's mentality is that you identify with other readers. Yes, Um, and that's a huge thing with Katie and I. We talk a lot about how she likes, you know, horror, and I like historical fiction. That's, like, super obvious and to the point, but even more so is I am good with and all about, you know, the lyrical and beautiful writing and prose and all of that, whereas she likes, you know, more direct and to the point and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Hard Um, and fast, if you will. Yes. um, I'm very big on character development kind of thing and, 
you know, just even stuff like that, that we have such vastly different interest in. Mm -hmm. I'm more emotional. Mm -hmm. And so it's just about finding books based on what you already like, based on simply what's popular. Um, I do think, I don't know if you mentioned it specifically on our podcast or just in general to me, but you, you say like you generally don't like books unless they're for yes I, we talked about that on the first average. episode and you know that just makes it really hard to i mean that just puts a lot of books out of the running it does and especially because we mainly rate books at a three yeah we so do we don't even do that i don't even follow my own guidelines for picking a book <laughs> which is messed up if you think about it like it's all just so subjective yeah and i like i it almost feels personal too when um, you really love a book mm-hmm. and it's like rated low or like yeah. like it because you relate to things differently. Mm-hmm. And so we're just not about that life really anymore. It stopped feeling authentic. Yeah. It felt really hard to peg down. You know, even last week, uh, Katie was rating it 2.74. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's just even like five isn't enough because sometimes, you know, it's not quite here but it's also definitely not there you definitely made me do a 2.74 for (laughs) 13 so don't try to peg that shit i mean you would have done 2.75 yes I but still like you can't point one percent you can't but i'm saying you can't stick to one and five exactly because oh yes oh i see there's grays in between there yes i see what you're saying so you can do point whatever because it still just doesn't fit with one two or three (laughs) so now that we've kind of given you our whole spiel on that we're going to kind of go in the direction of would we recommend this to somebody who has like tastes as we do, if that makes sense. It does. So, Kimmy, would you recommend this to a fellow historical fiction, romance, feeling lover? I think I would in that I think people should read most classics just to join the conversation and also get references. I can't even tell you how many books I've heard referenced. Even I'm currently reading another book right now that has referenced a book that references Pride and Prejudice, which is Bridget Jones's Diary is apparently a retelling of Pride and Prejudice, which I had no idea. I didn't either. And so the like just all these other references, I think not necessarily you should read a classic because it's a classic and for that only, but you know, the stuff gets referenced and so you can know what's going on in other books you're reading, I think that's important and good to be in the know. I don't think it should be at the top of your TBR pile or anything, but you know, just get it done. We have time, knock it out, know a little more, have a character list handy. What about you? No, don't read it. No. (laughs) And I wouldn't even go as far as for people who like my genres. I just think for people who have a similar learning style, who always have sort of struggled with this kind of thing. I felt like I was back in school um, as far as this goes, and that's not why I read. I read to get away and to enjoy things, and classics are not my jam. While I see where you're coming from with getting references, I have handy-dandy Google to help me out (laughs) with those references. So... Personally, I wouldn't. Sorry, Lindsay. I'm so sorry. I love you. I love you so much. (laughs) It's all right. And that's the thing. That's the other reason why ratings are so not here or there. Like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. You know, other people look at the exact same book and see different things. So understand your reading style and 
Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you got to just throw it out there and get out of your comfort zone. And sometimes you'll be surprised. And sometimes you'll be like, nope, I was right. That's why I don't read classics. Right. And that's kind of how I felt. Like it sort of uh, reconfirmed that, yep, yeah, no, still don't like them. And so my husband is going to read Pride and Prejudice because he loves reading classics. Interesting. And now he's doing it just to spite me to see if I really know what I'm talking about. I said, I am a professional. True. You make so much money from this podcast. So much. Um, Have you ever tried any classic horror? Like Frankenstein? Yeah. Or Dracula or something? He highly totes Dracula. Um, Your hubs? Yeah. He loves Dracula. (laughs) Has he heard Dracula Taylor Swift? I'm sure he has. Actually, no, he's been MIA. What? Oh, Oh, gosh. Oh, boy. So we just need to have a party just so that he can see Dracula Taylor do. Swift. Um, so fun fact. Let's get that on the books. <laughs> we will. Memorial okay. Day? Yeah. Okay. Fun fact, sometimes I get drunk and sing Taylor Swift songs. Sometimes. In Dracula voice. And it is just pure gold. Right, Paul? Oh, yeah. Our, our friend in my book club, he loves Taylor Swift and he kind of thinks that Dracula Taylor Swift is an abomination to her sacred name. Sacrilege. But I can't help it. I'm sorry. It just comes out now. But I don't know if it gets better than this. With you, I dance in my best dress, fearless. <laughs> oh, God, you did it. <laughs> oh, my God, you did it. I even made it fearless themed for today. Are you going to leave this in? Yeah. All right. <laughs> and that was Dracula Taylor Swift. Dracula? Dracula. Was that like, Killer. What was that one? Binocula? Binocula? Do you not remember that? Like, it's like elementary school level, like, horror of like a bunny. Oh, but yes. Is it binocula? Binocula? Binocula. 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 Dracula binocula. <laughs> I don't know. Binaka. <laughs> All right, we need to stop. We do. So, we're, we're just getting silly. <laughs> We hope that you enjoyed hearing our thoughts on Pride and Prejudice and also getting to meet Dracula Taylor Swift. We'll want to hear your thoughts too. Let us know if you need some TikTok videos of Dracula Taylor Swift, some reels, all the things. I know that this is going to be the thing that makes me like super famous. I just know it deep in my soul. Can you go viral for this? So Can can we have that happen? Can you you schedule that? Yeah, I just need to get it on video. Yeah, it, it is on video and Snapchat. It is. I have it saved. Yeah. So if you guys want to see that for yourselves, of let me know and we will make it We will make it available but to you. But do not at us for being <laughs> sacrilegious to Taylor Swift, if that's your thing, Paul. It's really a very, very good tribute. It is. But so... It's a drunken tribute. Yes. Those are mostly the... Those are actually the most loving tributes. They are. They are. They show your real feelings. They do. So. And I think it just adds depth, emotional depth in a way I can't explain. I wouldn't go that far. Okay. Yeah. You're going too far. Anyways, reach out to us on social media at The Lost Show on Instagram. Let us know what you think about Pride and Prejudice. Hashtag Team Kimmy or hashtag Team Katie. Hashtag we're both wrong. Because you yeah. were like, no, I was like, it's a classic. Do it. I think there are people who are like, read this no matter what. I don't care if it's a classic. It should be. And it is as hyped as it should. And buy every copy. Anyways. Yeah. Talk to us about it. We like yeah. conversation. We do. We like to talk. As you can tell. Yep. So you can also find more about us and the show at thelostchill.com. 
Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't have to worry about missing an episode. New episodes come out every Tuesday morning, just in time to have with your coffee. Next week, we're going to have the first episode that was chosen by our listeners. (laughs) Firefly Lane by Kristen Hanna. Katie's queen. queen. Mm, Weird, I knew you were going to go there. Yes, queen. (laughs) (laughs) And then to kick off May's episodes, the following week, we're going to discuss the push by Ashley Audrain. Be sure to check out Instagram and Facebook to know all the upcoming books for May. Yay, I can't believe May's around the corner. If you're enjoying The Lost Chill, please leave us a review wherever you listen to us. We would be so very grateful if you did. We can't wait to hear your thoughts about this book. Uh, We are so thankful for everyone who has tuned into our show and keeps coming back. And again, happy birthday, Lindsay. Thank you for listening to us talk about your favorite book. We hope we did it justice. Did right by your awesome standards. See you next time. Bye. Bye.